Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Kelly. I'm the pastor of the church here in Poetry, and I just want to say to you, thank you for joining us this morning as we worship Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, our Lord and King. Each week as part of our service, we read a verse or a passage together, and this week as we kick off this new sermon series, Let Us Sing, Let's Read, and recite Psalm 98.4 together. All the earth shout joyfully to Yahweh. Break out in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Psalm 98.4. As we've been exploring through scripture in the past, the idea of praise is two things, as we've said many times before. Praise is always public, and it's always vocal. You can desire to praise God, and you can do other things. We can give thanksgiving, and we can worship, but the only time that we can truly praise, and this isn't just my idea or my opinion, this is Evidenced in scripture is that praise is always two things. It's always public, means that we have to do it when we get together with other people who are redeemed into God's story, redeemed by faith in God. And it's always vocal. It's something that we don't keep inside. It's not simply a thought, but it's actually vocal. It's something that we speak out. And in fact, the Psalms are songs of praise. They're songs that we sing together. So praise is always public and it's always vocal and oftentimes it's in the form of song. Over the past several weeks, we've not been gathering together as a church family in our usual way in our building right over here. We've not been doing that because of the COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemic and the social distancing protocols that the government has implemented. We're gathering together online, though, through Facebook and YouTube, drive-in services and sermon audio through our website, but it's not really the same, is it? It's not really the same. The space between us, the inability to reach out and to shake someone's hand or to embrace a brother or sister in Christ with a big hug, to not be able to look someone in the eye and see that they're hurting, to be able to pull someone aside and to pray with them and to pray for them, to feel others present and welcoming, caring, loving, compassion, and compassionate. It's created a longing in me, and I know for many of you, it's created a longing for you. It's caused many of us to realize something that we've taken for granted for a very long time, the privilege to gather together publicly. In some countries, they can't do that at all. And we here in America and here in Texas and in poetry, we take it for granted to be able to make a joyful noise together, to praise God together in this sacred space where we gather together and we call out and we remember who God is, Jesus Christ, our King, Father, Son, and Spirit, Eternal Trinity. So when this coronavirus thing is all over, my prayer is that people all across the globe, that even our church family, will be transformed by this pandemic. What the enemy intends for evil, God intends 
for good, that we'll be transformed, that gathering together will be seen as the thing that it is, as a gift from God, to be treasured, not a matter of convenience, that when we gather together to worship the God of Holy Trinity, when we sing the praises of Christ our King, we'll do so as Psalm 98.4 instructs, joyfully, breaking out in song, making a joyful noise unto the Lord, our Creator, our Redeemer, Sustainer, Emmanuel, God with us. My prayer is that our unity would be the wisdom and testimony of Christ's faithfulness, his holiness and perfection, and his kingdom and his mission would advance through us and through our praise. Amen? So let us sing. Let us sing. Today begins a new sermon series. We wrapped up the Gospel of Matthew that we spent over a year in just last week. And so today begins a new series. Let us sing. Let us sing. Today's focal text is Psalm 20. We're going to cover just the first four verses of Psalm 20 today. So if you have a Bible with you, that's great. If you don't, you're watching this, you can just watch the screen and there will be some slides that are put up for you. Uh, if you would like a free Bible, you can reach out to us here at Poetry. And when you contact us and you can just let me know through a text message or through an email and you can find all of that on our website, poetrybaptist.com. We will be pleased. It's our privilege to reach out to you and to send you a Bible. No strings attached, no requests for donations or seed money, as oftentimes uh, televangelists will say that if you send in that seed money, if you just take that step of faith, we're not going to ask you for any of that. We just want to send you a Bible because that is God's revelation of who he is, his love story for humanity. So if you'd like a Bible, if you just want a Bible, don't even need one, but you just want a Bible, then contact us and we'll get you a Bible. Psalm 20, verses 1 through 4, it reads, For the choir master, a psalm of David, may Yahweh, your Bible may read the Lord, but in Hebrew it's Yahweh, may Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob secure you. May he send you help from the throne, from the Kodesh, the heavenlies, and sustain you from Zion. May he recall all your tribute and accept your burnt offerings. May he manifest your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. That's Psalm 20, verses 1 through 4. Just a few short Simple lines, right? Oh my goodness. If we just gloss over that or glance at it, we're going to miss so much. So today, as the word is preached from Psalm 20, I pray that the Lord would open your ears and your heart to see what he has for us, what he has for you in and through this Psalm of David. It's a psalm. A psalm, as I said earlier, is a song of praise. Praise is always public and it's always vocal. This one, and many in the book of the Psalms in the Bible, is written by one man. Seventy-five of them, I believe, of all of the Psalms, seventy-five are attributed to David. Prolific. We think of a contemporary artist as being successful if they have maybe a, 
a top 100 or a top 25, maybe even a, a top 10 hit song that they would write out those lyrics and say, I had a hit. And David, 75. We think of a contemporary or an artist, a singer, as being iconic when they hit number one. Legendary if they have multiple number ones. Songs about breakups and relationships, infatuation, lust, drunken stupors, about money, about glory days, about material possessions, about fashion choices, about picking mama up from prison, about rainbows, pots of gold and butterflies. But here from God's word in verse 1 of Psalm 20, we read, For the choir master, a psalm of David, one of the 75 that David wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes people will say, well, the Bible is just a bunch of different people, a bunch of men writing things down, and it's a translation of a translation. And all of those ideas are absolutely false. It's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. David, the son of Jesse, the one seen unfit by his own father, unfit by his own father to even be brought before Samuel the prophet. And you can read this in the book of Samuel about David's being anointed and appointed as the next king to replace the evil Saul. His own father didn't even want to bring him before Samuel to be on the appointment, even part of the process to become the next king. Jesse lined up all of his other sons, but he found David to be unfit left him out in the sheep pens. So David stayed out there writing songs, psalms like this one, Psalm 20, a praise to God. That's why scripture tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. After God's own heart, the New Testament tells us. He wasn't discouraged or deterred by what people said or did, not his own brothers, not even his own father could deter him because David knew who his true heavenly father was. So when we read, for the choir master, a psalm of David, we should think not only of God's promises being fulfilled, but of David's desire to glorify God with his life, filling his mind and his heart with joy to the point of over flowing and breaking out in praise, a desire to write songs that would glorify God, worship, worship of this holy, perfect, almighty, and eternal God who is creator, who is sustainer, who is redeemer, who is deliverer, who is faithful, who is full of loving, compassionate grace and mercy, a God, Yahweh, who is personally invested in us. As verse 1 continues, we read, May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. If we stop for just a moment and think about it, David wasn't writing a song about himself. Big deal, you might say. As we said just a moment ago, so many of the songs that are written today and written all throughout history are all about us, about our problems, about our wants, about our desires, about our feelings, but not David. David wasn't writing a song about himself. His song is actually a prayer, 
a praise prayer of intercession about his concern for others. In the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul wrote about how our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, how our operating system, the way that we live our lives, should be just like that of Christ. He states, do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of empty pride, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. And we see that here in Psalm 20 as King David the little shepherd boy rejected by his own father, not seen fit to stand before Samuel, to be even considered to be selected as the next king of Israel. He writes a song, May Yahweh answer you. May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. David's plea is that Yahweh, the great I Am, the God who spoke creation into existence, the one who stepped out of his heavenly sanctuary to dwell among humanity, the one who breathed his life-giving breath into us to promise to restore us despite our rebellion and our sin and to do it personally, physically, intimately involved, even at the cost of death, even death on a cross. That's who David is singing to for you, that Yahweh, that he would answer you in your day of trouble. What is that day of trouble? Our day of trouble is every day prior to our time, our day of calling out to God for mercy and forgiveness. Our day of trouble is every day we live our lives apart from the life-giving presence of God. Every day, every moment, every breath, every thought that we take apart from faith. And David wrote a psalm, a song of praise for you. A psalm, a song of praise for you that Yahweh, God Almighty, would answer you. And at the very instant you realize that you lived your entire life, your entire day of trouble, up until the point where you are redeemed, you are justified by faith in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, up until this moment, rejecting him, that God would answer you. That's what David's prayer was for. And David goes on to say, May the name of the God of Jacob secure you. Since this is poetry, to be sung together with others is praise unto God. David wants us to know that Yahweh, the name, the name by which God said he would be known from generation to generation. And you can go back and you can read that in the book of Exodus in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. God is speaking to Moses. That this God, Yahweh, he is the one who will be known from generation to generation, not just to the Hebrews, not just to the Jewish people, that for all time, to all peoples in every generation, including ours, including yours, today, that he would be known as Yahweh, this God of Jacob. He's personally connected to humanity through the woman Eve, that God made a promise that there would be one that would be born from her, that would crush the head of the serpent that would redeem humanity back to God, that would be the exclusive gate back to heaven. 
So when David says, may the name of the God of Jacob, he's calling to God's faithfulness, not for himself, but for you and for me, for other people, that it pleased God from before the beginning of time to redeem and rescue humanity. Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the cosmos. We read that in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. In chapter 13 and verse 8, it tells us that Jesus desired that our names would be written into the book of life and that he would be slain. And he knew that before he spoke creation into existence. He gave his life at the cross to ensure that your name could be written in that book of life. Jesus has willfully connected himself to humanity and in and through history, through the line of Jacob, until the day Christ was born in that lowly animal food trough, in that manger. Christmas, that first Christmas morning, the incarnation of the eternal Son, that he would come down from his heavenly throne to redeem us. And that caused David and his heart to overflow with praise and song. May the name of the God of Jacob secure you. When I read this, it causes me to think of a passage from the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 and verses 4 through 7. It reads, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seats us in the heavenly realms or the heavenlies in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing or incomparable riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, when David writes and he says, may the name of the God of Jacob secure you to raise you up with him, that's his desire that we would be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. But why? Why secure? Why that word? Why wouldn't God just simply rapture us up into his presence instantly in one snap of a finger into his presence? Why leave us here on earth? Because it pleases God. It pleases God to see our transformation and going from death to life. It pleases God to see us conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. Our being built together, edification. So oftentimes people believe that they can say a magical prayer and ask Jesus into their hearts and then they can go off and they can live lives of autonomy, which is exactly the same sin that was the first sin in Eden. Adam desired something for himself, and Eve desired something for herself. And they rebelled against God, rather than being two, becoming one flesh and glorifying God together. God's desire is that we would be edified, built together as members of his body and his bride, brought together in his church. Jesus said that that's who he died for in the book of Ephesians. It tells us that he died to make his bride spotless and pure and perfect, not for a bunch of individuals. 
not people mysteriously disappearing like alien abductions, not delivering us from our immediate circumstances and our immediate sufferings and trials and tribulations that are brought on by ourselves and our sin, but our perseverance despite them. That's why we're left here. That's why David prays that God, Yahweh, Christ would secure us, that he would secure us firmly on the rock, the foundation that is Christ Jesus, that we would persevere despite those challenges, those trials, those struggles, that we would find joy in the midst of them, knowing that Christ died for us. Our ability, like the Apostle Paul, to sing God's praises despite, and you can read about this in the book of Acts, when Paul was in prison for proclaiming and promoting the gospel, despite shipwrecks, despite being beaten and whipped and scourged and pursued, despite being naked and hungry, he continued, he fought for the advancement of the gospel, despite being thrown in prison and shackled and slated for execution. While he was in there, Paul began to sing God's praises. And it actually had such a profound impact on his jailer that his jailer gave his life to Christ that very night. So why are we secured? For that very reason. Yahweh would secure you in your faith, but also realize that if your faith crumbles amid the wind and the waves, the struggles and the trials of life, then it really is no faith at all. As oftentimes we say, it's a house of cards that simply crumbles. It's not established on the rock that is Christ Jesus. Thank God he doesn't leave us to our delusions. Thank God he secures us in Christ. And that was David's prayer for you. That in the name of the God of Jacob, that he would secure you. David goes on to sing in his psalm, May he send you help from the throne, the Kodesh in Hebrew. David knows we don't need human help. It doesn't do us any good. We don't need self-help books. We don't need the fiction of Scientology. We don't need the idea of Jesus being merely a, a prophet or a moral teacher. He is the eternal son. He didn't come just to simply be an example for us. He came to be our redeemer. He came as help from the throne of heaven. Because if he didn't come from the throne, then he would be no help at all. When given the option between God and autonomy, between rebellion and submitting ourselves in humility to God, between sin that leads to death and obedience that leads to life, every time on our own we'll choose death, we'll choose sin, we choose autonomy. So David prayed that God would send help from the throne. That's what David prayed for that God himself would come down from his throne to help us, not just to throw us breadcrumbs, not to give us this enigmatic word that is the Bible. Oftentimes people read it and say, I just don't understand it. Not merely the written word, which is fully sufficient, but to give us the eternal logos incarnate, the word become flesh. In John's gospel, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's saying that Jesus, the, the Word incarnate, the Logos incarnate, that the 
eternal logos, the eternal word, was with God in the beginning. And in fact, it says that he was God. The eternal logos, he became flesh. And the unique God-man, Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. That was David's prayer for you, that God would send you help from the throne. And praise God, he answered. Praise God, he answered in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. David goes on to sing, and sustain you from Zion. Zion is a literal place in Jerusalem, but it also serves as a metaphor in Scripture. David's prayer when he says, and sustain you from Zion, is that God would send help from the throne, that God would erupt into this world, the one that we've wrecked in our sin, that God would take a stand, that he would become incarnate in literal physical time and space to be here with us. Emmanuel, God with us, to sustain us, to provide for us, to strengthen us, to remind us, to keep us from wavering, from going astray to the left or to the right, but staying on the path of righteousness in his presence, in Christ, our strength, our redeemer, our sustainer. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he promised that he would send the parakletos, that's the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the teacher, to dwell not just in our midst, but actually to live on the throne of our hearts. That when those stone hearts are destroyed by the gift of faith and we're given new hearts of flesh, that that becomes the literal throne of God in our lives and the Holy Spirit dwells there. The parakletos, the comforter, that's what David prayed for you. That our hearts literally become Zion, the place where God comes and dwells, the place from which God sustains us. That's what David prayed for you and for me. David goes on to sing, may he recall all your tribute. It's not a plea that our omnipotent, omniscient God, all-powerful and all-knowing, that God would somehow need David's cosmic post-it note, that God would wake up in the morning and see David's prayer and say, oh yes, I do need to remember his praise and his tribute. That's not David's point. David was using poetry. Poetry to plead with us, with you, to make your life a tribute to God, as David did with his. And that we would know Yahweh, with all certainty, and we would recall God's humility, that it would cause us to respond to God in humility, in obedience, that it would give us lives full of compassion and love and generosity, that our dedication and our joy in denying self and picking up our crosses, Jesus said, and following hard after him to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth, that that would be our tribute. David said, may he recall all your tribute. May your life, may our lives be a tribute to God to recall. And accept all your burnt offerings, David says. And accept all your burnt offerings. The burnt offering in the sacrificial system was the one offering that was exclusively for God. Many of the others, not many, all of the other sacrifices 
Some of it would either be held back for the person who brought the offering. Some of this is for me. Some of it's for you, God. Some of it would oftentimes be for the priests who were working in the temple or in the tabernacle. But the burnt offering was whatever it was that you brought to God, that it was laid up on the altar and it was consumed by the fire of the altar and all of it would go up to God. That's the idea. So when David says, and accept your burnt offerings, David is pleading that your life, that our lives would be a burnt offering to God. Poetic language that your life would be lived out exclusively for God. Everything, completely, every day, every moment, doing all things as unto the Lord. Pray without ceasing. That's the only tribute worthy of God. Amen? Our lives wholly and fully consumed, burned up for God. That's the only thing that's worthy of this God who is creator, who is Yahweh, that would dwell with us, that would come and be born in a manger, that would willingly go to a cross, the lamb slain from the foundation of the cosmos, that our lives would be that burnt offering, a testimony to this God who is creator, sustainer, redeemer, holy and perfect Trinity God. David wraps up this portion, these first four verses by singing, May he manifest your heart's desire. When our lives, when your life becomes a burnt offering, the only kind of tribute that's worthy to God Almighty, to Yahweh, then the desire of our heart is precisely God's desire. What David is singing about is that people would give their lives completely, unreservedly, unashamedly to God in their entirety, not just for an hour on Sunday mornings, from time to time, when it's convenient, not that, not that we would just throw a few dollars in a plate when it passes by out of guilt or out of some sense of obligation, but joyfully, everything that we have, all of it, dedicated, burned up unto God, recklessly abandoned to him. David's song is God's song. God's desire for us, for you, is manifest in David's psalm a praise and worship that your heart would become perfectly attuned to God's heart through the gift of faith in Christ Jesus, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on that throne of our hearts, walking in the good works God prepared in advance for us. Not about our desire for a new job, not about prayers for a bigger home or a new love interest, but about our desire to step out of our own stories, to let ourselves die and to literally be crucified with Christ, to lay dead in those baptismal waters, to be raised, to walk in newness of life, to be perfectly identified with Jesus Christ and his mission and his plan. David finishes and fulfill all your plans. When our plans become God's plans, fulfillment, success, victory is guaranteed. God is the eternal victor. That's why the New Testament, Paul writes, he says that we have become more than conquerors. We are eternally victorious in Christ Jesus. God's plan to redeem humanity unto himself as the body and the bride of Christ, not to redeem a bunch of individuals 
so that they could go out and live out their own personal plans, their own personal lives, but for God's glory. When we step out of ourselves, as David did, in humility, seeking to serve others, interceding in and through prayer, lives dedicated to God, to manifest his love and his mercy and his truth and his grace in a world filled with people who are lost, deluded, and disillusioned when we pray and sing songs of praise. May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob secure you. May he send you help from the throne and sustain you from Zion. May he recall all your tribute and accept your burnt offerings. May he manifest your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. See, it pleases God to answer that kind of prayer. If you've never called out to God for mercy, seeking forgiveness for your rebellion, a desire to turn from the life that you've lived to enter into the life-giving presence of God through Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one slain from the foundation of the earth, the King, the eternal Savior. If today you've realized your entire life up until now has literally been your day of trouble, may Yahweh answer you. That was David's prayer, and that's my prayer, and that's our prayer as a church for you. May he answer you. May he secure you. He's already sent help from the throne, from the most heavenly place, Jesus, the eternal son, the one who stepped down from heaven's throne, from his throne on high to rescue you and redeem you from your story. That's one of death and dying, headed into eternal torment in a lake of fire, into God's glorious presence for all eternity, to become part of his bride, his body, his church. He sent his spirit to open your eyes that you would be born again, given a new heart, given a new heart, a purpose and a calling in life to be an ambassador of the eternal king. He will sustain you through his strength made perfect in our humility and our weakness. Apart from him, we truly can do nothing. May he recall your tribute, a life given to him as a burnt offering, completely, wholeheartedly, unreservedly, not to an organization, not to a religion or a religious movement, but a life given up as a burnt offering to the King of Eternity, the one to whom all tribute and authority belongs. And may he manifest your heart's desire and to fulfill all your plans as your heart becomes a reflection of his heart, as your plans become part of his singular plan to promote and proclaim the gospel, the good news, to the ends of the earth. Jesus Christ, Son of David, Son of of Abraham, risen from the grave, coming soon. Amen.